What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the show. Today, I have with me Lindsay Parker. You guys might know her as Lifting Lindsay. Lindsay is certified in nutrition through PN1 and certified in biomechanics, execution, and program design through N1 Education. She's also certified in pronatal training protocols. Wow, what a fun episode, guys. We nerd out about all things hypertrophy programming, exercise selection, exercise setup, how to bias, you know, certain muscle groups over others, you know, common misconceptions when it comes to growing certain muscles. We talk about our favorite exercises for the glutes. We talk about how important is sensation or how important is it not? You know, the idea that you should be feeling it in the muscle, like, is that more important than setting your exercise up properly from a biomechanics standpoint and, and, and from an execution standpoint? Um... Honestly, if you guys are want to nerd out about how to do certain exercises and, and, and what not to do and how to bias certain muscle groups and, you know, what might be a good uh, mentality in terms of programming for the growth of certain muscle groups, this is the episode, episode for you. Lindsay is awesome. She has a ton of great content. I know you guys are going to love this episode. Enjoy. Lindsay, how's it going? Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. And, um, you know... Every time somebody comes on, I like to give a little intro as to why I wanted to have them on. There's just so many people out there that you can have on your podcast. Like, well, why did I, why did I like, why did I choose to have you on the podcast? And truthfully, just biomechanics, uh, form setup, uh, exercise selection, execution, something I wanted to talk about on the podcast for a bit of time. And you came super highly recommended when I put up a poll of people, uh, you know, to follow for good form tips. And I think that most of the people that I work with slash we work with probably have a limited time to train. And so this is about getting the most out of your training. Like my podcast has a wide range of, of listeners from beginners to advanced. And I think there's just a lot to learn. Like there's a lot of people going through the motions without an understanding of, of exercise setup and intent. And while I don't think everybody needs to be insanely granular about every freaking thing in order to make great gains, it's still important to have an understanding of why you're doing what you're doing. Like you're going to get a lot more out of your training. And honestly, I think it's a little bit more fun when you really understand it. So that's why I wanted to have you on. I think you do a really good job at explaining that. Do you know what? I, I totally agree. Like, it's really fun to dive down into the, the minutia of it all. And oh my gosh, like we could have such a fun conversation about like, you know, dividing up the glutes into three different, it, you know, working areas and this angle and that. But do you know what? Majority of people, that's not what they need. That's not what they need at all. But honestly, for me, like, I think if I was just walking into the gym every single day and doing movements, it wouldn't be as fun. So like thinking about it all, why I'm doing the things that I'm doing, it actually brings a whole other level of enjoyment because you can't always increase the weights. You're not always going to see your six pack. Like right now I'm in a build and it really does suck. Not even being able to see like delt definition. So I need other things to keep me going in the gym. And honestly, the science behind it and nerding out about it is one of those things. It just makes it fun. It makes it fun for you doing it, but it also makes it fun for myself and all other coaches listening. It's like, I enjoy, you know, I know that when I'm giving a program to a client, we're going to talk about just general hypertrophy programming methodologies and whatever and exercise selection mm -hmm. in a bit, but just as a coach, it makes it more it, 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 my, my clients don't necessarily need to know about every single reason why they're doing it. Now, I really, and I've talked about it on the podcast a bunch, I love when they ask and I love when they want to know. And sometimes I shove it down their throat because I want them to learn, right? Definitely. Yeah. Um, but as a coach, I think it's super cool to just be able to, I don't know, I just feel, I come from a personal training background, which a lot, I'm sure a lot of online coaches do, where it was in a big box gym and I would just see so much stuff where 
from other trainers and obviously myself as a young younger person where I was like, if I stop this person right now and I ask you, why are you doing what you are doing? There just must be an answer. I'm not saying you need to give me a 25 page dissertation, but like, there has to be a reason. There's literally has to be a reason. And I just, I felt very strongly that like, I was looking around and I'm like, there's just no way you have a reason for that. Um, and so it's, it's, it's important. Instagram, yeah. And Instagram is not a, a right. good reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, clicks. Because that Instagram <laughs> influencer with an incredible body that they were genetically blessed with that is not a good enough reason. And how like, that's not empowering for the individual in the gym either to just be like, well, I don't know why I'm doing it, but this girl over here has an incredible butt and she was doing it. So it must work. And it's like, no, no, it doesn't work. That's not where she got her butt actually, especially when she's using like 10 pound dumbbells. No, she did not get her butt from that crazy weird random Jumping. three exercises combined yeah. thing yeah oh, that, so. that, that's good i'm gonna make a note on that we'll talk on that later but i think that that logic of so and so does it so and so has what i want they're doing something that looks like what i would like to look like let's say that logic isn't wholly flawed it's only wholly flawed if that yeah. is where your investigation stops like i think it's it's not, you know, follow, you know, the success leaves clues is a totally rational way of thinking, but it leaves clues. It doesn't define laws. And so I think that it's okay to, you know, unfortunately you're bombarded with, unfortunately there's a serious dichotomy between what gets views and what in this context, let's say we'll stay in this context, what builds like, what is like proper execution or proper hypertrophy programming? Like they are, they are almost polar opposites. And so it, it's not even so much that success leaves clues. It's success really success, meaning these people that you just are following because you, you know, they look like they, that you want to look and they're jumping around with a zillion bands on. Like it almost leads you in the fucking polar opposite direction, unfortunately. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Awesome. So before we hop into the topics, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, how you got into this, how you got, you know, just feeling passionate about nerding out about hypertrophy setup and execution and all of that. And you had said something just before we hit record about, you know, the fact that this sort of podcast modality, this avenue of discussion, like it isn't like Instagram. And so I do look forward to like hearing your, your more like raw, super raw opinions about stuff. So I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I'm in the mood to give them right now. Yeah, so you awesome. are just going to hear it all. Nice. Um, so how I got into this. So I was, I was like raised in a family of runners. Like, I mean, Every single one of us ran and I never fully enjoyed it. But for some reason in my mind, I had this idea of, well, running keeps you thin. It keeps you fit. And then, and then there's this, there's also an interesting element in my family in that my, both of my parents were married before, and then they got married and had me, my body type and structure is extremely different from my sisters. So I am 5'8". I am like the epitome of like an ectomorph. When you think of an ectomorph, that's me. Like I should be a ballerina, not a bodybuilder, right? So um, then I look at my sisters. So we're all running, right? We're all runners. I use that term loosely because I am not a runner at heart. <laughs> but um, we're all runners. But I look at my sisters. They're like 5'4", genetically have like a lot of muscle base, like a ton of muscle base. So these girls lean down and it looks like they hit the gym every day. Yeah, they should have been the lifters. Yeah, right, exactly. Like they actually 
have the body and the mechanics to lift and do really, really well. But genetically, they already have some really good muscle base. And so they, they run. And, and my sister, um, I have one sister that's a, um, she's a pro athlete. She's a pro Ironman. And she, she looks like she hits weights every, like every day. So she runs, she leans down. She has these amazing couch shoulders biceps I remember thinking like when she flexes her biceps she could poke at my eye like like she just has this incredible body and I did not have that like I ran and my body just I just looked like a 12 year old boy frankly just like this tiny it's a great runner's body (laughs) that's what that's what that's what normally happens (laughs) right but but my heart wasn't in running and I always wanted to look fit so then what happened is um you know, a lot of people actually walk around with bulging discs. So mine, mine were bad enough to where they were causing excessive pain. So I would run and I would get like a numb leg and pretty soon I couldn't run anymore. I couldn't sleep without low back pain. Like, so that took, um, running off the table for me. I couldn't run anymore without excessive pain. And then, then I got pregnant then I put on a ton of weight and then I'm left after my pregnancy with major low back pains, a lot of weight that I needed to lose. And my husband says, why don't you hit the gym? Why don't you start lifting weights? And I, just like any other uneducated woman out there says, oh, I don't want to get bulky. No, I can't do that. I don't want to get bulky. But it was really my only option. If I wanted to lose weight, I needed to get into a calorie deficit and Um, I finally trusted my husband that I wasn't going to get some massive bull traps and I was going to lift weights. But then that led to another problem. I'm 5'8". My femurs are extremely long. You look at me, I'm all legs. And then I have this really short torso, these long arms. I mean, these limbs that why didn't my squat look like everybody else's? So I read all these books. I scoured Google, I'm looking through and it's like, my my deadlift is supposed to look like this and it doesn't. My squat's supposed to look like this and it doesn't. So how does a person with my body and mechanics do all of these things and do them injury free? That was a huge thing because of my back problem. So this led me down this road of pretty soon, like I'm flying across like the United States to go to these different biomechanics courses to learn everything I can to learn how to squat appropriately. (laughs) Like I was loving this. I was loving learning about this, but it, it really opened my eyes to many things. And then pretty soon, just like, that's like what I started diving into. My specialty became biomechanics and program design because I was one of those people that I wasn't genetically blessed in the regard of muscle mass of like my mechanics setup structure is very different um than what other people are going to experience so that's kind of what propelled me down this path that i absolutely love that's awesome and and just to just to stay on that for one second like what was it that what are some of the things that you what were some of the main takeaways for like okay i have long femurs anthropometry is a little bit different than like the and i say this all often to my girlfriend has like the Literally, if you look at like Steffi Cohen 
like sumo squatting or sumo deadlifting. Like that's that's my girlfriend's same body, same shallow hip sockets, same like short femurs, like his ridiculous body type and anthropometry and all of this for squatting and deadlifting. Everything looks perfect. And then I would look at myself with perfect, quote unquote, whatever. It looks like you think it's supposed to look. What were some of the things that you yeah. learned that you're like, hey, I don't have this body. I'm, I'm trying to squat and deadlift with this ballerina body. What do I do? Yeah. Well, another thing, another good question is, well, what are we trying to accomplish with it? That was, that was the main takeaway that I started really, really thinking about is, is the goal to squat or is the goal to build my glutes or is the goal to build my quads with that squat or do I want more, like, do I want to build my adductors with this squat? I mean, the, the main takeaway is that I learned was setup is actually dependent on, yes, the body type, but also what am I trying to accomplish? So if you're coming at this with like, if you're a power lifter, I'm not really your person because um, I'm not a good person to come to for power lifting techniques because my specialty is more in hypertrophy and aesthetics. So, I'm not going to be the best person to show you how to squat just to squat. I'm going to be that annoying person. So for example, a girl came up to me in the gym and said, Oh, I follow you on Instagram. Can you come and look at my leg press? And I was like, Oh yeah, sure. So I went over and she sat down and she just started powering through leg press. And I was like, cool. Okay. What? Like, good job. <laughs> you went through concentric eccentric of many muscle, like, what what do you want why are you leg pressing like that's question number one why are you leg pressing and she goes well i i don't know i just you i'm supposed to do it why are you supposed to do it like i'm that annoying person who like if they ask me about the rdl i'll ask i'll ask you the same exact questions why are you performing an rdl because actually why you're doing it is going to change the setup and execution of it. So are you doing a leg press because you want it more, you want to build out your glutes? Okay, then let's actually change your stance. Let's raise, you know, your feet on the plate. Let's actually, we used to think it was wider for glutes. Now we're realizing it's narrower for glutes. Research is a wonderful thing and I encourage people to stay up to date with it. So we're going to have a high stance and it's going to be or a high placement and a narrow stance now it's glute max okay or do you want quads then lower that maybe open up the stance include some adductors in there so that was my biggest takeaway from flying all over the place is the number one question you should be asking yourself is why are you doing the exercise why because that will define everything setup execution everything yeah, and I think that just I think the the first literally first thing you said is like what is the goal of the exercise is am I looking to squat because I'm looking to visibly make it look like someone else's squat or am I doing this to grow my quads? Am I doing this to grow my glutes? Like let's come back to what the freaking goal is. The goal is is hypertrophy. Am I trying to lift the most weight? If someone's like, hey, assume inevitably you do this, I'm sure. Inevitably is Q and A's people are like, hey, sumo or conventional. I'm like, are you trying to lift the most yeah. weight? Or you're trying to, you know, maximally grow certain muscle groups. Like, what is the goal depending on, you know, that will decide what we're going to do. And if your goal is 
hypertrophy, well then we need to look at your body and what your mechanics are gonna look like to get what is important for whatever goal you have. It's growing the glutes, growing adductors, quads, whatever. Um, which I find happens all the time where I'll be zooming with a client and we're looking at form technique videos. And they're like, why isn't it looking like this? Or why can't I get below parallel without a butt wink? Or do I have to go below parallel? Or, do, or how low am I? I can't get as low as you in my RDL. Or it's like, hold on. Like you are not me. I'm not you. You are not this person you see on Instagram. We're looking for a certain anatomical positioning, execution, setup, and that will inevitably grow that muscle. Yes, exactly. I've been posting hack squats lately. Um, I really want to grow my quads. I love using the hack squat for it because we can get in a really stable, when it comes to hypertrophy, we can get in a really stable position with it. We can get some good knee flexion and you can really, with that stability and that knee flexion, we can get a lot of output in a lengthened position for your quads. I mean, it's a beautiful machine for quad development. And I cannot tell you how many times clients and just random people on Instagram or people who use my app for their training will message me and say, I cannot get as low on the hack squat as you. I'm like, that's because you don't have, you don't have the ankle mobility because as soon as you start setting your feet lower to get that good knee flexion, one thing that could limit your movement is you don't have the ankle mobility. So either you can do a few things for that. I mean, we can have fun with this. If your hack squat allows you, we can get creative and we can put a plate or we can put wedges on the hack squat. There you go. We can get a little bit more ankle mobility and you can get a little bit more knee flexion. And now you're overloading and getting a little bit more of a lengthened position for that quad. And it can be, it can be really fun. But if, if your machine doesn't set up like that, or like you don't have that ankle mobility, then you have to be okay working in the active range that you have. And a lot of times when we try to exceed our active range um, to match somebody else's, that's when we get hurt. Or you, or you, the stimulus to fatigue ratio is off. I'm going, I'm getting deeper because I think I'm supposed to get deeper because I think the stimulus is better, but realistically I'm distributing that, that tension now across muscles that I don't want to be working right now because it's, I want to get yeah. deeper and, and that's not going to give me more stimulus in the muscle I'm actually trying to grow. Um, yeah. And I think exactly. to, just to add on that, the hack squat, I think, you know, just even a simple pair of like uh, wedged, uh, wedge heel shoes or just an Olympic lifting or a squat shoes, like mm -hmm. can solve a lot of, not solve, but bypass people's obsession with improving their ankle mobility. I'm not going to say that spending some time working on your ankle mobility is a total waste of time, but I do think that everyone listening to this is most people are capped out by time. And if you're like, yeah, I'll spend 15 mm -hmm. minutes warming up my ankles. I'm like, are your ankles really an issue for like your day-to-day -day life? Or can we slap some, you know, a wedge underneath you or grab a pair of squat shoes and just kind of bypass this and get more knee flexion. And to stay on like a squat versus hack squat, uh, we haven't even gotten to the first topic. I'm already like just obsessed with this conversation, but like just from a discussion of squat versus hack squat. And, and we, it's again, it's hard without a ton of contextual answers, but like why might mm -hmm. one consider the hack squat more optimal for quad hypertrophy than potentially, you know, let's even something really great, like high bar back squat. Yeah, I, well, once again, everything comes down to the client, right? Um, especially when I do online coaching and I'm not there to coach a client through the movement. But one thing I do love about um, the hack squat is as you begin to fatigue, the, the machine is going to keep you in a relatively stable environment where you can keep pushing into that fatigue. 
where, you know, a barbell, um, barbells are fun, but when it comes, you have to think about this, when it comes to the goal of hypertrophy, are we, are we actually trading just the need to use a barbell because that's what we do in the gym? Are we trading that for results? Because few people actually have like, I would say are trained enough to push themselves to the fatigue needed in, um, with the bar on top of their back when they're trying to, you know, push the knees forward, really isolating or not isolating, but really biasing more of the quad. I really, that's my experience is that few people actually have that ability as they're pushing into fatigue to keep the type of form required to keep them the tension on that muscle that they're trying to work that's why with hypertrophy a lot of times moving into a more stable environment where then we're just working into the fatigue can be can be the best answer yeah, you, you, what you do when you go from a barbell back squat to a hack squat is you eliminate the, the need for a core uh, engagement. And, and what ends up happening is for a lot of people, the technique breakdown uh, based on, you know, just lack of really, really solid motor patterns or, you know, core breaking down or synergist muscles breaking down tends to happen first. You know, I, I've been squatting for many years and, you know, to bring my, to make my quads the limiting factor on a high bar back squat is just, yeah, high bar back squatting is amazing, by the way. It's just a wonderful exercise, ton of raw stimulus magnitude, ton of, it's going to mess you up like totally, it's going to give you a lot of stimulus. But if we're talking about like what is optimal, we're, we're, we're uh, nitpicking happily here. Um, yeah. It's very likely that in a more stable environment, such as a hack squat, where you don't have that like technique breakdown because you're limited by the, just the motion of the machine where you don't have that core involvement because you're not uh, in a free space, you're in a controlled environment. It's very likely that what you're left with is like, well, my, when my quads crap out, I'm done. And so that is one of like, one of the benefits of machines, quote unquote, and it's obviously a broad spectrum here, but just like one of the benefits of machines would be the fact that like, okay, we can, we can better bias and choose which muscle groups are going to take the brunt of this and eliminate some of those synergist uh, muscles that can sometimes be limiting factors. Yes, exactly, exactly. And a lot of people get caught up in in exercises almost like it's a religion where it's like, no, I have to do this exercise. It's like, I don't know, they get like really emotionally attached to exercises. And I find that it's best not to. It's just like, let's just choose. When I'm looking at a client or when I'm looking at my own programming, I'm going to choose the exercise that that. I can one perform really well. My execution is going to be on point really well. And will it get the job done? Will I be working the muscle in the area that I want to, whether it's length and mid or shortened range for the purpose of it? So a lot of times people go in and they just want to do something new just to do something new. And a lot of times it's like, well, it's not going to give you the results that you want just going in and doing something new. Um, sometimes it can psychologically give us, it can psychologically be really good. Let's just use cable kickbacks as an example, okay? Because I'm not a huge cable kickback person. I'm not a huge band, every single glute exercise, throw a band around your knees person. Because first and foremost, I look at 
what can the what am I trying to accomplish? What can the um, client do really well? And then what's going to be the best exercise for that? So when it comes to like working um, the glutes in more of a shortened position, which it tends to be why people do cable kickbacks, they're trying to work their glute max in a shortened position. Now, if we're trying to, if we're looking at overall tension and output, I'm going to put you in a glute bridge because loading a bar with freaking 200 pounds versus doing a cable kickback at 10 to 20 pounds, what are you going to get the most out of? You're going to get the most out of a glute bridge where you can get good output. Now, there are times though in my programming, I'll throw in a glute kickback, but it may be for more of the psychological aspect for the client because they want something new and different. And so as a coach, that's sometimes what we have to do. It may not be my favorite. It may not be necessary or needed, but for the mental gains of the client, that's what's best. Absolutely. And I think that there's also this this uh, uh, moment with a client where somebody's like, hey, where am I supposed to be feeling this? And I want to talk about sensation for a second, where it's like, where yeah. am I supposed to be feeling this? And I'm like, okay, that, that question doesn't not matter. It's not that that question doesn't matter. It's not like we don't care at all where you're supposed to be feeling this. But sometimes, like you said, this might be a, a moment where you're programming a, a, a glute cable kickback because of almost some reinforcement of sensation, almost because you know that this client's gonna be okay, I'm getting like a sensation in my glute and that, that must be good and I'm more bought into the program and that's great. But like when we're talking about sensation in general, I feel like it comes at least third. Like if you, if someone's like, hey, I'm, I'm doing, let's say the, the, the leg press where, okay, we're gonna leg press and we want it to be glute focused. So we're keeping our feet high on the platform, close together. And they're like, no, I'm not, not really like feeling this crazy glute pump, glute sensation, glute mind muscle connection. It's like, okay, well, most importantly, are we biomechanically in a, a setup that is just factually the best place to optimize glute development? Let's use the, this leg press as an example. Are we in the position? You know, if you're like, hey, I'm not feeling it in my glutes. I'm like, yeah, it's because your feet are at the bottom of the platform super wide. Like your quads and adductors are getting crushed. You know, let's put them here because biomechanically, this is what will just factually be the best position to, to get a, a glute to work the glutes. Um, and then the second is actually in like relative intensity. Like, are you actually one in a position set up where we know, Hey, the muscles that are supposed to be working are working. And two, are you getting close enough to failure to, to make a meaningful difference anyway? And it's like, if you're doing those two things, and I want to say this for all my clients who I know, listen to this, it's like, Hey, if you, if we check your form and your techniques, great. And you're like, oh, I don't know where I'm supposed to feel it. Just, I want you to find some solace in the fact that if your technique is good, your setup is good, your execution is good, and your relative intensity, your proximity to failure is good, is adequate. Like, there's a really freaking good chance that the muscles that are supposed to be working, it's people are like, oh, I can't feel my glute, like my glutes don't activate. I'm like, did you stand up from a chair? They're like, yeah, I'm like, your glutes work. And so just, <laughs> just want like, if your execution, your setup is good, your technique is good, your proximity to failure, your effort is good, it's very, very likely that the right muscles are working. Now, if you're like, hey, I'm doing that leg press with my feet high and together, I'm not feeling anything at all. I, I think that if push comes to shove, like I'm not saying we're gonna scrap it, but I do think we might look at alternatives where we can maybe get the same level of ex proper execution, proper setup, proper intensity, and maybe an addition of, of some form of sensation. But I don't think we scrap something just because you're not feeling it in the right place. It's like, if your execution's good, if your relative intensity's good, like let's put some faith in that. 
Yes. And let's talk about, okay, I love that you brought up sensation because so many girls are so obsessed with feeling it. And, and I like that you brought up the leg press because let me, let me preface this conversation with this. So for those that don't know, we have different areas of the muscle that we can work. So we have a lengthened position and let's look at bicep, for example. Okay. So a lengthened bicep actually requires a little bit of shoulder extension and then going back. That's a lengthened bicep, a shortened, and we can do some curls in this position, right? On, on an incline, we can use the cables, whatnot. Working the bicep in a shortened position is actually going, we're going to need some shoulder uh, flexion coming up. And then we're working it more in this. This is actually the shortest. Okay. So we have the lengthened, we have the shortened. So what's fascinating is as we work at every single exercise is going to overload one portion of the move or of the muscle versus the other, right? Leg press. Let's look at leg press. It's a great example. You're actually working the glutes more in their lengthened position. And I think this is really, really important for people to understand. You are going to feel more sensation in a muscle working it in a shortened position, which is why when you do a glute bridge where it's overloaded in a shortened position or a cable kickback where it's overloaded in the shortened position, you're going to feel far more sensation in the glute. So when people do like an RDL that's more glute based or a leg press that's more glute based and we're overloading in the lengthened, you're not going to feel the same sensation in your glute that you are when it's shortened. So that's the danger of sensation based work. And what it does is it creates horrible exercises like the frog pump. The frog pump is an exceptionally good example of this. We have excessive abduction of the legs, which actually in and of itself prevents the full hip extension. Exactly. Exactly. And then it just causes jamming of the joints, but there's tons of sensation. There's tons of sensation. Yeah. Because your body is screaming. This is not a seriously, your nervous system is giving you feedback saying, this is not good. You're jamming my joints. This is not good. And girls are frog pumping away in the corner. I'm feeling this so much. And I'm like, okay. One no. set of RDLs for every 500 sets of frog pumps and you're good to go. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Just, just, so a lot of girls, they, they, and, the, and it's hard too, because you get a lot of coaches on, um, Even on Instagram. Ones. Yes. And they're doing these exercises and they're, they're constantly talking about, you'll feel this, this one feels so good. And they're constantly pumping up the sensation. Yeah. I think a good example is, uh, you know, if you had to tell me what the best, you know, if I were to pick two or three really great quad builders for the rest of my life, like, you know, a lot of people would be like, okay, well, if I'm going to pick the things that I'm going to feel the most, like I'm going to do leg extensions, you know, I'm going to. I'm in a leg yeah. extension. I feel it like crazy. I my quads are super flexed and and I can feel them flexing and I can feel the muscle working. It's like okay, well, like you know, one, how much weight are you moving in that exercise versus your hack squats and your and your back squats and your lunges and your leg presses? 
Um, but two, like you said, you're you're biasing, you're 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 preferring this sensation versus what we're actually supposed to be doing, which is as much tension through the muscle through its active range, where where we want to be working muscles throughout different length and positions in the length of position, in the middle range, in the end range, and so. I just think that that is an extremely important sentiment that I wanted to get across today is like, if you're seeking sensation, I understand that that by not by itself is not a, uh, um, it's not the worst pursuit by itself without context, but it's probably, if it's your only pursuit, if it's the only thing you're seeking out, it's probably almost certainly taking you away from at least a more holistic view of how to grow the muscle optimally. Like, yes, I think they're like, it's, it's, there are going to be times where you have two exercises that work the muscle in the same position that have very same um, advantages. And you're like, okay, I just happen to feel like this one fits me better. Maybe I feel a little bit more fine as a deal breaker sometimes. Okay. But as a primary pursuit in terms of exercise selection, like it's going to be taking you far away from what you're really looking for, which is a lot of tension on the muscle. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well said. Awesome. Let's let's after 30 minutes here, maybe we'll move to our to one of our actual topics for the day. No, um, I I loved it so far. I want to talk about we're gonna go to glute exercises. We're gonna have a glute discussion. So everybody who's here for like how can I grow my butt? Like we're gonna get there. But like I want to talk about squats, and we've done it a little bit already. This idea of like where would squats rank? And I guess this is a pseudo glute question, but like why are we squatting? And then obviously we've talked that that is a contextual question of like how you're setting it up is going to change what the reason behind, you know, what the goal slash outcome of the exercise is going to be. But this idea of like squats for glutes or squats for this, or, you know, how can we view the squat as an exercise for what? And I know that that might, this might turn into a long conversation, but I'm okay doing so because I feel like it's an exercise that's massively misunderstood. Yeah, it is. So once again, we have to ask that question of, well, why, why are you squatting? Why are you squatting? Squats are really hard. Um, and it's so hard on Instagram because people just like, I don't know why this keeps coming into my mind, but on Instagram, girls want to like position the camera to look straight at the butt to give it like this, like most, you know, ultimate crotch cam. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Cause they, they really want to sell this move. But as I'm watching him, I'm like, wow, you're like getting out of neutral spine. You're going to kill your low back because the first thing that they do is they pop. It's like they pop those hips back and immediately they're out of neutral spine. So immediately the glutes are not going to be working like you want them to be. But man, does it look good for Instagram, right? Um, So you have to, but you have to look at, okay, why are we squatting? Are we squatting for glutes? Are we squatting for... um, adductors are we squatting for just overall function and health so as soon as you get that question down in your mind then you can get the right setup and execution but i do want to drill this one home you don't need you actually don't need to squat if you want to build your glutes and the reason why i like telling that to girls is because one, so many people are so in their mind about squats and they feel like they have to get it down, but yet they suck at it, but yet they still have to do it because that's what you're supposed to do. And it's like, no, actually I have girls send me, my clients send me forum videos and there are girls where I'm like, okay, we're not going to squat. We're not going to squat right now as a primary builder of your glutes. 
we're going to put it on the side and we're going to work on form a little bit and you can send me some we're going to we're going to develop these these neurological patterns with it but because you you're not very good at it right now we're going to set it to the side work on it a little bit on the side maybe towards the end of your programming but you're you're awesome at walking lunges and and you kill it on those. Your hip flexion's really good. It's a powerful movement forward for you. You're killing it. So we're going to use what you're good at to build. And when it comes to hypertrophy, that's what I will always lean towards the the exercises that people are good at. Like that's okay to put it on the side and be working on it on the side. But I will always do if you're really good at leg press, awesome. Let's kill it. Leg press is amazing. For glute development um walking lunges incredible for glute development we're working the glutes in a lengthened position and we if we can do it powerfully great that's where a lot of growth is going to happen now it doesn't mean that we ignore like the other um side of the resistance profile it's, it's not like we're ignoring the shortened position but we're going to utilize that lengthened for a lot of the building but we're going to keep it to where the client feels really good about what they can perform increasing their weights and then on the side we'll kind of work on the squat and and are you and are you working on that squat because you want the competency the feeling of like biomechanical competency of being able to do the squat well like okay but like if you have a like a super hingy squat and this is just looking like a move where i just feel like this idea of squatting for glutes is just bypasses the fact that once we talk about the, your exercise selection for glutes, let's say we're building your program out and we're thinking of how much volume we want on the glutes and which shortened position like the position, I just don't see squats as an exercise that should be ranked very high for many people. Like it's not that you can't squat for your glutes. It's that there's always an opportunity cost. You're choosing squats for glutes, which maybe biomechanically isn't a good fit for you based on just your technique and motor patterns. And maybe that can improve, but I just feel like you're, you're bypassing other exercises that are just probably going to be better for most people um and i've always found that to be like hey I'm, I'm squatting for glutes it's like man if you want to squat at all like let's probably use the squat for what it's best for which is probably not when compared to other glute exercises that would you know work at the glutes in the length of position um it's probably not as good as those alternatives for most people um and i do think that you said it i think a lot of times you get somebody who has a bilateral squat that looks like shit not to, you know, not to any fault of their own. They probably understand the technique and they just do it in just the way that their body is built. And yes, you can optimize somebody's setup. You totally can. But you get somebody to a split stance, a lunge, a, a rear foot elevated, a Bulgarian split squat, a, a standing split squat, a, you know, a reverse lunge. Like you're just going to usually get somebody who one, feels more competent with the movement. And like you said, is better at it. But it's also not, sometimes they're not better at it for any other reason that the squat is just a shitty movement for you. Like you, like super long femurs, like, you really gonna buy? You really gonna barbell back squat much if your goal is maximum hypertrophy? Now you might barbell back squat if your goal is to squat and to look good on Instagram and for to, you know I'm not shitting on anybody who wants to squat. I'm just saying it's important. And Lindsay said this perfectly, so you don't have to. And if your goal is growing a great set of glutes or quads or whatever, like there's no mandatory exercise, and certainly the barbell back squat is not one that is mandatory. Just felt like it's just feel like I want people out there. And I think this goes for a ton of different things about nutrition and everything that, that kind of permeates through my content. It's like, I want you guys to be doing stuff for the for the right reasons. And I'm not saying that what we're saying is always the right reasons, but for reasons that make sense. If they make sense to you, great. But like you squatting for glutes 
when it doesn't look great, when we can get you into a split squat or a, or a walking lunge or leg press or RDL or glute bridge or hip, even hip thrust, or single leg hip thrust or whatever. I just think there's a laundry list of exercises that are probably going to either fit you better or just be better for most people most of the time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and the, the, how somebody feels in the gym is actually going to dictate the amount of output they get. Like our brains, like the psychology be behind nutrition, behind lifting, it's huge. And if somebody, as soon as they put a bar on their back, gets really nervous, guaranteed their output is going to be very limited. So why don't we, why don't we try to put as much tension as we can on the exercises that they're amazing at? And then if they really want to, for some reason, want to be able to squat just to squat, then that's something we can figure out how to incorporate that into their programming. But if their number one goal is to build, I'm probably not going to lean on that. Yeah, so. super well said. Agreed with that. I think that, and and just to echo that point, like there's nothing wrong with wanting to squat for wanting to squat because you, you know, it's something you want to be able to do because it's something that you want to be able to do and there's no judgment, but just understanding that that might be a slight divergence from optimal hypertrophy, which is okay. We make slight divergences from what's optimal all the time. This freaking podcast is called Where Optimal Meets Practical. Like I understand that there's like, you know, you might, you know, uh, just really want to back squat and I'd say, hey, look, probably can get a better stimulus to fatigue from a hack squat. And they're like, you know, I really love the hack squat. I really want to squat because it's important for me. I feel like a badass getting under the, great, awesome. Let's work on that. That's cool. Totally fine. But I want you guys understanding these are the trade-offs and then you make decisions and you feel less guilty about them because you're making informed decisions. Yes. And when you're limited on time, you really want to put your time where it's going to get the most results. If you're not just, because there's working out and there's training. So if you just want to get into the gym and do movements, that's called working out. And it's like putting a blindfold on and taking like a dart and just throwing it at dart. Whatever you hit, you don't care because you're just trying to like move and feel good. That's fine. But when you want very specific results, you are now, when a girl comes to me and says, I want to build my glutes, I want to have awesome delts. Now you have left the world of working out and you are entering the world of training. And when you enter that world, you are going to have to give up a few things. So like all of the bouncy things that jumpy. you've been doing in the past, jumpy things. Yeah. No rest, bouncy, bouncy stuff. You're going to have to give that up a little bit because you're entering a world of training. It's like somebody who wants to become an Olympic swimmer, but they really like playing basketball. It's like, okay, well you kind of have to choose to you. <laughs> Do you want to spend all of your time becoming this Olympic swimmer or do you want to spend all your time playing basketball and a tiny little bit of time swimming? Well, then let's line up your goals to what you're doing every day a little bit better. So that's what I find is really, really important. As soon as you enter that world of training, now we've got to optimize things a little bit more and we've got to use our time a little bit better. Yeah. And most people listening to this podcast are not trying to be Mr. or Mrs. Olympia. But the truth is, if you're coming to me or, or Lindsay and you're trying to grow certain muscle groups or get, you know, you maybe you don't want to be Mr. or Mrs. Olympia, but you want to grow more muscle and look like you're fit. A lot of people are like, yeah, I don't want to be a professional bodybuilder, so I don't need to lift like a professional bodybuilder. Okay, that might be true, but you want to probably probably part of you or at least part of why you're coming to one of us to hire us for aesthetic slash hypertrophy gains. It's like you're probably going to have to lift closer to that than you think. 
to get anywhere close to where you actually want to go. It's like, okay, I don't need, I don't want to build as much muscle as possible so I can also do three days of orange theory. It's like, okay, like, you know, just not, and not to labor that point too much, but and we've talked about it on numerous other podcasts, like understanding the trade-offs, understanding what your goals are and finding mini rant incoming is like this understanding of the word fun of like your workout should be fun and what do i enjoy you know what's fun fucking results that you enjoy are fun people think oh what's the what is fun okay what do i enjoy doing in the moment okay that, that's cool that's like a that, that that's relevant uh, totally but like you know what's fun results are fun and if you're like i really enjoy being sweaty but i really want to be muscular and look like i lift well guess what like you're gonna have to sacrifice maybe the most fun you could have during for the most fun in terms of results so I just want people when they're thinking about what they enjoy doing to think about what 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 goals you have, what results would you enjoy? Because that might actually start to push you down a path of total, just all-encompassing more enjoyment. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Exactly. And can I shift gears just a little bit? This keeps coming to my mind. Okay. So um, one of these biomechanics courses that I went to that I thoroughly enjoyed by N1, it was taught by... Um, coach Hanson Kassam, and he, I think this is really, really, really important for girls to understand. So when we talk about genetics, because we're like, oh, well, that girl just has good genetics, or she has this genetics, whatever. That's a very vague term. Or somebody will say, well, I did, I want to do this girl's lifting program because look at her glutes, look at her butt. It looks awesome. And she does that, so I'm going to do it, and I'm going to get those same results. So let me just kind of give you some context when it comes to genetics, because I think that this is really important. So genetics aren't just about how fast a person can lose body fat or put on muscle, but it actually comes down to what it looks like when it's on. So, so we have girls that have, let's talking about glutes. When you look at a girl's pelvis, her bone structure, that's going to determine what the muscle looks like when it's on. So you can have a girl who has this wide and, and, and shallow pelvis, okay? And when she, she can go into the gym and put seriously minimal amounts of muscle on, very minimal. In fact, she could just get into the gym and do a, get a little sarcoplasmic hypertrophy. Sarcoplasmic hypertrophy is just kind of the swelling of, of that cell. So we're just driving nutrients into the cell. We're getting more glucose, glycogen, water in the cell, and it expands. She hasn't put on new like tissue, new muscle fiber, but she's going in. She's doing a lot of these like kickbacks banded whatever stuff and she's not really focusing on progressive overload she's doing like 20 pound rdls and she's like oh do this you can feel the burn and blah 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 okay well feeling the burn does actually bring about some sarc sarcoplasmic hypertrophy so which is why when you have a ton of like booty burnouts towards the end your butt is going to look better and it's going to look bigger at the end of that workout now when you go home going to kind of go away but yeah, you're you going to you're yeah. going to get that yeah you're going to get that pump and you're going to feel good about it which is why i think a lot of girls stick with a lot of those like burnouts is because of that initial pump and they think that 
But chasing the pump all the time is actually what prevents a lot of people from growing. So let's go back to this girl. She does all of these, like all this pump work, you know, 20 reps, um, all in the shortened position, just feeling it kind of stuff. She gets the sarcoplasmic hypertrophy. And because of the shape of her pelvis, she, she looks like she's put on a lot of muscle mass. Now you have somebody like, um, somebody who has maybe a narrower and longer pelvis structure. And I absolutely loved it when Kasim had me stand up as the example of this. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> I'm the girl who had the pancake butt. And a lot of it is this structure. Well, it's the lack of muscle, but it's also the structure of that pelvic bone, right? So it's, a, it's narrower, it's longer. When that person, when that girl puts on muscle, they have to put on three to four times as much muscle to even look like that girl who just got a little bit of a pump, but who already has that, like more of that heart shaped pelvic, right? So that's, what's really hard too with comparisons is that girls will get on Instagram and they'll see these girls that have that, that shape who have put on very minimal amounts of muscle. And they think I'm just going to do everything that of what they do, all this burnout, all this sensation based stuff. I'm going to look like her. And then they do it. They get very, maybe sarcoplasmic hypertrophy. That's about it. And they're like, ah, oh, it just doesn't work for me. I can't grow muscle. It's like, well, no, it's, it's you, you, you're an individual and you need to be treated like an individual. And you need, you need to take that into account that you actually will need way more many years in the gym, truly building, which means you can't always stay shredded you've got to lean into builds. You've got to put on body fat. You've got to do all those things that you don't want to do so that you can see the same results that that girl only took three months of shredding down. And it sucks. It sucks. I am here to tell you, I know from experience, it sucks, but it is what it is. And are you going to just complain about it? Or are you just going to, are you going to put your head down and put in the effort and realize, okay, You've got to spend more time in a build than in a cut. That girl genetically is set up to, she can spend all of her time shredded because she actually doesn't need to build. You may be on the other end of the spectrum where you get shredded and you're like, oh, I have no muscle. Why don't I look like her? I did her plan. I did her nutrition. Why don't I look like her? Oh, it just must not work for me. No, it, it, it's, you are an individual. You are a different person with different genetics, with different bone structures, different abilities to put on at the speed, you know, of your body muscle mass. And so you need to be treated as an individual. And that's where I think it's really, really important for girls to understand. And that goes for guys too. And that goes for any, any, any muscle. Some guys are upset that they don't have that, that peak you know, with their bicep or maybe their chest or whatnot, but it needs more time development. And also structurally, maybe you have, um, you don't wear your, uh, biceps attach, maybe a lot longer versus shorter. You're not going to get that high peak in the short amount of time that, that that other person did. So there's so much more to take into account that people just don't even know to even think about these things. 
that's my that's my tangent for you. I love it. I love it. I love the whole rant. I think it com- I think the important part is that this is something you cannot change. And so when we have these moments of I I I'm not in control of my genetics, it comes back to like putting faith in the the mechanics and the exercise is actually going to bring about the type of adaptations that you're looking for. It's like come back to okay, I can't change my genetics, my bone structure, my, you know, how my proclivity for muscle gain. What I can do is I can do proper amounts of volume, proper amounts of intensity, proper technique, proper proximity to failure. And then I can individualize my exercise selection. Like you can do all of those things. You can't change your, your, the length of your and width of your pelvis. You can't change how fast you do or don't gain muscle. Like, so it does come back to one of these discussions of, you know, you might not be able to control X, Y, Z, but you can control you know, uh, not putting a round peg into a square hole and trying to squat when it's not your thing or, you know, understanding that there's some level of individualization and there is still a lot that's in your control and there's a lot you can do. And while you were saying that, there's almost like, okay, we take an extreme example of, you know, a girl doing three bands. And I think of, I think of like Alexia Clark, like like eight bands around her knees, like hopping around on a beach. Um, And it's like, okay, okay. This is obviously so far away from what people should be doing for growth. It's this is almost it's a parody. It's not even close. But then there are people actually out there who are doing things that are like semi-intelligent that look the way you want to look. And just it still comes down to this idea of like, okay, this person did it. You know, there's a lot of IFBB pro men's bodybuilders who train in a way that like makes like it makes you want to pull your hair out because it doesn't make a lot of sense. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to go on my own tangent here, but it's like, okay, this person went on, uh, is jacked and you want to be jacked and they are doing things that are even like, it's not the girl on the beach jumping around with the bands. It's actually like semi-intelligent training, hard training, doing the main compounds, all this stuff. Um, but like, that doesn't mean that that person, not, person cat, could not be doing what they are doing better and could not be in a better position if they were layering on top of things that are smarter. And then one other thing is like, I worked out in the gym that I either worked at or owned for the first 10 years of my lifting career. Um, and so I've only recently moved into like a big box gym. And I'm, this is a, now that I see where I'm going with this tangent, I might, I'm not going to shit on our whole conversation here. But what I am going to say is that for a lot of people out there who have relatively modest hypertrophy goals, you know, you're like, I want to look like, you know, uh, like, like apartment community complex pool shredded, you know, like I want to look like salt, like, like I lift, you know, but I don't need to be anything crazy. Like, you know, uh, and again, I don't want to undermine our conversation, but I see a lot of dumb shit going on, like totally lacking range of motion, ton of body swinging. Yeah, we've all seen it. You won't go in the gym for five seconds. You, you're on the treadmill. You people watch, you see it. And what I will say is like, I think all of, I think all of what we talked about today is super important, but you could probably get away with, it's, there's no, nothing replaces like a lot of eating and a lot of hard training and consistency in the gym and 200 workouts a year and, you know, uh, pushing yourself hard. And I think that a ton of what we talked about is super important for those looking to fine tune what they're doing, understand what they're doing. But like, it's also true that, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not advocating anybody take that approach, but I look at a lot of jacked people in the gym. I'm like, the fuck are you doing? Like, um, and they got there by doing dumb shit. And for the last 10 years, you know, like you, it's hard to replace 10 years of hard training and lots of eating. But that doesn't mean that these people couldn't be in a better position or get injured less or be more jacked or have done it with, you know, less, uh, uh, you know, uh, crazy levels of intensity. And so, yeah, anyway, that that was a small tangent as well. Right. Or Sarah, it's totally 100%. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but I think what, what you're saying, if I can just rephrase it in my own words, what I get what you're saying is you can still get results doing stupid things. Yeah. Because I've seen it be done. There are people who genetically are in a good spot that they can still, they're like, it's like what I said about putting the blindfold on and throwing darts. 
they're still going to kind of nail around here. And for them and their body and their genetics, that may be good enough. And then there are other people who are like, but I'm doing all of those things and I'm not looking like them. And it's like, okay, then you are going to have to optimize things a little bit more. So you can, you can go into the gym and yeah, there's a lot of examples of doing stupid things and having a nice body, but we can always, wouldn't it be great to get better results faster doing things right? And also without drugs. And, and that's another thing that I just have to touch on very quickly. Um, I, so I feel like bikini competitions are the new marathon. I don't know. You know how marathons, it's like anybody wants to do something amazing, I'm going to train for a marathon. Now I feel like because of things like social media, we're kind of inundated with a lot of other ideas of like extreme things to do. Marathon's not really, it used to be a really extreme thing. It's not really an extreme thing to do anymore. But man, a bikini competition is extreme. And it is. It's an extreme sport. Anybody who thinks it's not an extreme sport is kidding themselves. It's an extreme sport. So um, it is something really cool to be able to accomplish and do and then stamp, stand on stage and, and present yourself. You have to realize that a lot of these women, one, cannot stay that lean year round. Two, because bikini competitions are becoming so popular, you would be very surprised to know how many people are taking drugs to help enhance things and also how easy it is to get your hands on these things. So, and, and it used to be that it was just that any type of anabolic was more on the pro level and you're actually seeing it on the local stages now because you almost can't, it's, it becomes really hard to compete. Um, yeah, it becomes really hard to compete as soon as the drugs become a lot more available and all of a sudden people on a local level are all doing them. So to become a natural pro builder becomes really hard. So I never want to diminish anybody's work because you still have to go into the gym and work really hard, but that's just food for thought for those of you, those girls out there that are looking at all these bikini competitors, just know that not everything is being shared with you. And I think that that's really important to understand. So if you're a stay, like if you're just like some mom who's just trying to, wants to look a little bit fit, but you're comparing yourself to a person who's in an extreme sport, who's also may or may not be doing some type of anabolic, like you just have to be so careful. Yeah, totally agree. And that obviously not to sound like old man, but that's like, that's social media. That's just what's going to happen if you're surrounding yourself with that level of comparison. It's just going to be really tough to actually enjoy the process for you because the process for you is just chemically not the same as the process for others. Yeah. 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 Uh, how long do we have? I don't want to take you too long. I want to talk um, about some butt stuff. Oh, if you want to, we can, we have time. Excellent. So really quick, we'll close with, you know, it's impossible to give blanket recommendations of like best this or best that because we need to look at the individual and the goals, but just on a very general level, and we can preface it by saying it's a very general level, like let's talk through some of the quote best or likely to be worth trying glute exercises or modifications of certain exercises, maybe those exercises in them themselves um, to make them more or less glute dominant. Okay. So the first one is I really do believe that the leg press is not utilized as much as it should be for glutes. I believe it's really, really undervalued. So if you have a leg press machine that the back 
goes down more. We want to have it go down as much as possible so that we can work a little bit more of that, um, that hip flexion. But that high stance with a little bit, or more of like a narrow stance is going to be really good at working the glute max. So if, and, and the reason why I say high stance is because we want to limit the amount of quads. So when you're at the very bottom, if you're getting a, a ton of knee flexion and knee flexion is closing that gap between the hams and the calves, if you're getting a ton of that, that's why you're feeling it in your quads. So I'll have a lot of girls say, <laughs> well, I'm feeling it a lot of my quads. And it can be because the foot placement is too low. So raise that foot placement um, hip or just barely inside of your hip um, range for your glutes. And then you have to make sure when you extend down, especially when we're lowering that back pad, that your, your low back isn't rolling, like your glutes aren't rolling off the pad. If that happens, you're, you're actually just lowering or loading your low back and you're going to destroy your low back. But I love the leg press because it's a really stable environment where you can get some really good output. Um, yesterday, I was doing 350 pounds just with the glute stance on there. So that's a really good amount of you know tension creating. And then spend time, spend some pauses at the bottom. So if you go down towards the bottom and then sit there really squeezing the glutes, sit there for one, two, three seconds, and then push up, right? So that tempo is a great way. We can modify tempo and really have a lot of fun with exercises. So that one is one that I absolutely love using. Back foot elevated split squat. I love this one. So this is really good, but... But there's a problem with this. Uh, girls, well, people have been taught in general that they need to stay perfectly upright during a split squat. Split squat. If you if you bend forward at all, that's bad. Just, X, you know. Just a reference. Rear foot elevated, synonymous with Bulgarian for anybody listening. So yes, keep going. Sorry. Um. So Bulgarian split squat. So you have the back foot elevated, and now you, what that does is we're able to put a bit more force on that front hip, okay? So lean forward, get some really good hip flexion. You'll be able to feel that glute lengthening, and then you can work. And, and you, can, you can load that nicely because a lot of girls, when they have problems with walking lunges, I'll say, I do prefer a walking lunge, and I'll get to that in a second. But when girls have a hard time with those motor patterns of the walking lunge, I'll do a Bulgarian because you're able to set up well, and then you just go through the movement, right? More of that up and down. So make sure you get that, that hip flexion. Lean forward, and then powerfully contract going up. The reason why I say I do prefer the walking lunge if somebody can execute it really well is walking lunge, we can manipulate a few things, but walking lunge, you get more range of movement, right? So when we're a Bulgarian, you're really just going to work that, that length in mid and then you kind of, you're kind of stuck in this spot, right? But with the walking lunge, you're able to get through that whole movement of the length. Now we may not be you know, 
overloading the shortened position of the glute like we would with the glute bridge, but there's still this working the whole movement. So when you, when you do a walking lunge, it has to be powerful. So when you're at the lunge at the bottom, once again, hip flexion, if the goal is glutes, hip flexion is key. You got to lean forward and you're at the bottom of that walking lunge, you lean forward and then you powerfully think about driving that front foot down and back and you powerfully move almost so that it propels you forward right. and then you land again and then lean down and propels you forward. So I like that we can work through that whole movement. So I will choose that over the Bulgarian if somebody Does it has all. the motor yeah, to yeah. be able to do that. But another thing about it is, remember how we talked about recent research is showing that um, to get a fully lengthened glute max, we actually want to be bringing the knee kind of more towards that center line of the body. So we do want to have a little bit more of this adduction, okay? So we're bringing the, the knee towards that center line. And that will actually create a good lengthening of the glute max, especially like the iliac portion of it. So when you're doing walking lunges to kind of step in front can actually lengthen that out a bit. Now you just have to be very careful because that can be damaging to your knees if you're not also pointing that toe this way, right? right? Because you want the knee to drive over and back from that toe. Little so, pigeon toe. Yeah, exactly. But but also keep Rotate. the pelvis rotated and going straight forward. So those are some of my favorite as far as working the glutes in their lengthened mid-range. And then glute bridge, hands down, shortened range of the glute max, like that is where it's at. The glute bridge is different than the hip thrust. Hip thrust is... Um, it's a lot of lum lumbar and it's a lot of um it's a lot of momentum carrying you through a glute bridge is a very very short range at the very top of that movement where it's like you're barely going down you're keeping your your um shins um vertical your, yeah and and so it's like this very very short range and it is controlled it's controlled and you can have fun with tempo because you go up and you hold that for like a one to two count, and then go back down, very controlled back up. You know, girls who can do 300 pound hip thrusts um, are doing like 90 pound glute bridges because lack of momentum. You're actually like working the shortened range of the glutes and it's very controlled. So you're gonna see that. And less quad. See the... Exactly, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we have research showing that the quads are built during during you know the the hip thrust so um if you want to minimize quads and that's actually what a lot of girls want they want to minimize quad development they don't want to build their adductors think about that all these girls and i don't know why if you're one of them bless your heart i don't know why you are so obsessed with having a space between your legs it is the strangest thing on planet earth can I just tell you, I've had that space between my legs for majority of my life. And my life is no more joyous because of that than now that I've closed it. You know, in how fact, much, I have, you know how much food you drop down no there food. over your life? Like, 
you can't catch it. There's no you. How are you gonna drop the food? You but there's a crumb. You miss it. Like <laughs> when my Oreo fell the other day, and my caught that it was a beautiful moment in my life awesome. i was like i didn't have to do the 10 second rule because i didn't have to worry about that yeah. so <laughs> so so think about it though if you are getting that nitpicky about what you want to build and where you don't want to build then knowing how to set up for for execution in a in your lifts can be really beneficial so that's another reason why doing a narrower stance it's it's going to help because it actually minimizes the amount that your adductors attribute to like the squat, for example, um, or even like walking lunges or something. So if you cross over or you're having a more narrow stance, you're just minimizing the adductors help. And if you don't want to grow your adductors, you want to keep that, that space between your legs. Um, then that's something that you want to think about. And even like, yeah, thinking about, um, well, I want to, I want to grow my glutes. I want to grow. Um, but I don't want to grow my quads. Well then, yeah, you're going to hip thrust, probably want to minimize just little things like that. Just think about those things. It's fun to think about those things. If nothing else, right. It's just a fun, fun to thing to think about, but I do want to throw out one other thing. I hear a lot of girls talking about building their glutes and they put so much emphasis on glutes and not hamstrings. And I just want to tell you, there's a beautiful thing about having that curved hamstring. And in fact, it goes along with the glutes really, really, really well. So you can typically tell when people have one of the newest, like biggest surgeries for women is not breast augmentation. It's now glutes. And you can always tell, I can always spot it like that because they don't have the hamstring. They have this massive boot and no hamstring. That's not how things work. That's not. And so just keep in mind when you go into the gym and you're like glutes, 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 please work hamstring too. It's beautiful, but it's also going to help your body stay balanced as far as aesthetics. Yes. But also as far as health yeah, too. Totally. Yeah. Where do you, where do you uh, like soft knee bend hinge patterns? So like an RDL, where would that fall in your you know, lengthened glute work? Um, if a girl can execute it well, then I really like it. I really like it. The problem that I have with majority of my clients is that they exceed their active range and they end up building out their back more than their glutes. So, because what happens is, so you have this, you're hinging down and with an RDL, as soon as your butt, your hips can't move back any further, you should be going back up. Um, and sometimes we can help with that by increasing, you know, hinging at the knees, but, um, or bending at the knees there. But I still see that too often girls wanting to go for depth. For some reason, they think it's a depth comp competition with an RDL. So what happens is your erectors really get lower loaded. Your low back gets really loaded. Well, what happens when something gets really loaded and it grows? I, a few girls want their back and round here, like their low back to get bigger, right? We want to keep that small. We want the glutes to get bigger. So if somebody can execute it well enough, 
that can be a really good primary movement. Problem is, is it tends to lean a little bit more towards mid range. And we do want to keep a lot, the bulk of like our building um, exercises, we do want to keep them in the lengthened range as far as glute development goes. Sure. Is it important to keep that balance of like, okay, maybe I'm viewing my RDLs as a mid range. I'm viewing my leg press as a short, as a lengthened, and I'm viewing my glute bridges as a, as a shortened position. And I'm hitting it from all of those angles. And yeah, it can definitely be a, a, an important like pillar of that. Yeah. And it, that's a really well-rounded um, approach to it too. So a lot of times I'll see girls on the same day, they'll do um, like a, a glute squat. Then they'll also do like a glute or um, yeah, yeah, like a glute emphasis RDL. And and the leg press. You're looking, <laughs> yeah. And, and the, the reason why I would say just be careful about, you know, doing both of those on the same day is we also, when it comes to recovery, recovery is extremely important to building muscle. You have to be able to recover. Anybody can go in the gym and kill themselves if they can't recover from, from that work then because recovery is where the muscle actually gets built. So you destroy it in the gym, rest and recovery is where the muscle gets built. So I would just say, be careful about loading your spine too much because your body has to also recover from that. So, so I don't, with my programming, I don't load the spine twice on, on one day. So I'm not going to put in an RDL because when I put in an RDL for a hypertrophy program, my clients better not be picking up to like 10 pound and just trying to burn out. That's just not what we're doing. We're trying to really progressive overload. I want you to really push the weights. So if they're, if they're putting the bar on their back and then they're also gripping the bar for that pull, that is a lot of, that's a lot of, um, neurological answers, like, a an overall systemic effect that they have to now recover from. So I would just be careful of doing that. You know, a really well programmed hypertrophy program can have three glute exercises in a day. People think that, oh, it's glute day. That means I do seven, eight, literally every single exercise that could possibly come to my mind. And you just have to remember, can your body recover from that? More than likely not, especially because girls like two days later to work their butt again. So you're working it again, but it hasn't recovered from the last time you did like every single exercise known to man on the glutes. So there's wisdom in like picking two to three, really um, a good contrast in that resistance profile, two to three exercises for your glutes when you work them. Perfect. Pick a, pick a lengthened one, pick a leg press and a glute bridge. Awesome. Well done. That's your glute work for the day. But it's like, no, but I need to destroy it. I need to do this. And it's like, no, 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 no. You need to create a certain stimulus and then you need to recover from that stimulus. That's it. That's what we're trying to do here. Yeah. The big skeptical eyebrow is raised. If you're telling me your glute days are like six, seven, your leg days or any freaking days, you know, yeah. more than six exercises, um, there's a big skeptical eyebrow that what we're really lacking is like proximity to failure. There's just no way you should be able to survive that long of a workout. Like, 
literally, I'll, I, and that happens to me all the time. I'll have a client I take on, they get their first program, they're like, oh, it's, this is no volume. I'm like, no, 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 it's it's the right amount of volume because I'm going to require you to actually work hard enough. Like, you know, it's the same with people who are like, oh, I don't need to deload. I'm like, yeah, you're right. You don't need to deload because you don't fucking do anything. You're not actually training hard enough to require deloading because you're not actually ever getting close to failure. So it's like, you're like, oh, I don't need to do less volume. I'm like, you're right. You don't because you actually probably need this much work because all your sets are five reps in reserve. Like, um, and so I, I, yeah. I, I love what you said. I think that there's going to be a group of listeners and we'll wrap it up soon. Um, that probably don't have a lot of that equipment that we are discussing and they're thinking, okay, I have a barbell in my house and I got the garage gym and I'm thinking, okay, you know, first of all, already in my mind, you could put together a really solid glute day. You know, it doesn't need to be, you don't have a leg press. Okay, fine. You don't have a 45 degree hip extension. Fine. You know, you don't have, um, you know, a hip thruster or whatever, but like you guys can still be putting together more intelligent and less intelligent versions of glute days. It doesn't need to be thrown together of like, oh, I'm gonna throw the whole kitchen sink at it because I don't have a lot of equipment. It's like, okay, we can pause for a second and still probably uh, lay this out in more and less intelligent ways. And so I think, oh, whatever, I mean, hopefully that's what people hire us for. But, and I do like taking that off people's plate. And it's like, okay, I know that you're going to put, if I leave you to your own devices, your day is going to be a ton of axial load, a ton, you know, an RDL, a back squat, uh, you know, a good morning. And, you know, like, um, and so, you know, hopefully if this, if, if this conversation felt like, man, this is an insurmountable amount of information, two things. One, I think it doesn't actually cost you much to make some of these tiny adjustments. When you were talking about the difference between a hip thrust and a glute bridge, you know, somebody else might be like, hey, you guys are being, you know, it's a, a discussion, it's very pedantic. It's a discussion of these like tiny little minutiae, like, okay, but like what we're talking about might be the, might be a slight reduction in range of motion from the hip thrust, a slight reduction in explosiveness from the hip thrust, a little bit more control. And we're not talking about, some of the things don't actually cost you much. Yeah, it sounds like mental masturbation sometimes of like this intellectual discussion of, but it's sometimes not difficult stuff. Sometimes it's, hey, maybe we take one or two inches off your RDL motion because you've stopped flexing at the hip and you've started flexing at the spine. And it's not that difficult now if it still feels insurmountable. Shit, that's why Lindsay and I are in business. We're very welcome to, very happy to help you guys um, put some of that stuff together and do things a bit more optimally. But I don't, I think that it, it you know, we could literally, I wrote down a zillion notes. We could have an entire another podcast, but um, it doesn't need to be as complicated. And I think that if you guys are out there and you want to learn more about this, you know, there are certainly resources out there that you can go it alone. But I think if you hire a coach, a good coach, who's going to have these discussions with you, it's going to be laid out. Yeah, we just had an hour and 15 minute talk about it, but it's going to be laid out in a, a bit more of a simplistic manner of like, you know, how do you, how do you build a, a balanced meal? It's like, okay, I pick a protein, I pick a vegetable, I pick a carb and an optional fat, whatever, whatever your, whatever your goals are. It's going to be very similar for this. It's like, how do I build a, a glute day? It's like, Hey, we pick one of these three in the lengthened, one of these in the shortened. And then maybe we do another length, another shortened and another day and we're done. And it doesn't need to be super, super complicated. Yes, especially when you're working hard in the gym. Like two to three exercises, just like you said, very like balanced. You're getting that output. You're working hard. You're going to nail it. You're going to do awesome. Excellent. All right, Lynn. why don't you tell everybody where they can find you if they don't already, plug a whole bunch of whatever you want, and I'll let you get out of here. <laughs> okay, well, um, I'm known as Lifting Lindsay on Instagram. And um, yeah, I do coaching and I have a, a training app because honestly, I find that nutrition's easy, training is where there's a little bit more nuances that people don't want to think about. And so I have a training app for those that want to work out at home with limited equipment or just want something in the gym that they can go in and be like, oh, this is what I'm doing today. Somebody else thought about the nitty gritty already. I'm just going to follow the plan. I'm just going to kill it. Excellent. 
super appreciative of you coming on today. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. It was fun. Awesome. Have a good one. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Where Optimal Meets Practical. If you liked the episode, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media or left a five-star review on iTunes. That stuff really helps. If you ever want to get in touch with me, just shoot me a DM on Instagram, at Jordan Lips Fitness. I'm always around to chat. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.